0: Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. It's Friday, February
1: 3rd. Today's podcast focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV newsroom.
0: I'm Isabel Danzis. And I'm Shayna Walsh. And here are this week's feature stories.
1: Every Monday, we give you the FUV Sports Spotlight. It's where we feature stories from One on
0: One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show. WFUV's Anthony Bartiromo and Jack Warner sat down with baseball historian Lee Lowenfish to discuss his book, The art of pitching, and what it was like to collaborate with pitching legend Tom Seaver. Among your many works, I learned that you were able to collaborate with the late Mets legend Tom Seaver on the art of pitching. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Just because in your last answer you mentioned Mr. Seaver, I wanted to know if you could, you know, just give us a little insight on what that sort of collaboration was like.
2: Well, he was, uh, he was a very, uh, he he's a perfectionist, and and you know he came back to the Mets. I mean, he never, he uh, never would have uh, uh, left New York if he hadn't gotten into the feud with M. Donald Grant, who uh, Mrs. Payson had given much too much financial power to, and ultimately traded him to the Reds in, in the the June massacre. So I met him when he'd come back to the, to the Mets after uh, they traded him uh, the Reds traded him back to New York, and uh, I, I he told me that I, I got my type recorder. I went down to St. Petersburg. He had a place uh, for the spring training on St. Petersburg Beach, and and he encouraged me to come down before this game started. And that's one thing too for fans who uh, want to get to a feel for players and feel for the game being reborn in the, in the spring uh, go down there before the exhibition games start, because you, you get to see how they get in shape. You get to see an inter squad game. And uh, I'll never forget uh, since he, his late brother, and now of course he's gone too, was a painter. And, uh, and he had a great interest in art, Seaver, And I remember him driving, after we did a taping, we there's a building in in Clearwater. I think it is not the, the adjoining city to St. Pete. It may be the largest residential building in the world, and it's like two blocks by two blocks. And we drove around that, and uh, it it was just nice to 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 try to pick the mind of somebody who was. Uh, as you saw later on when he developed his winery, he, he, was a pep- he, he, he liked to work hard and he liked to, uh, uh, to, to be uh, a complete uh, workman at, at, at anything he did.
1: That was Anthony Bartiromo and Jack Warner talking with Lee Lowenfish about his book, The Art of Pitching. Music is
0: something that people of all ages can be a part of, whether it's listening or performing. Kids Rock for Kids is an organization founded in New York City that puts young, talented musicians at the center of the stage while raising money for kids in need around the world.
1: WFUE's Christina Lulich sat down with the founders of the charity and two young musicians to talk about their mission and experiences taking a part of this initiative.
3: Impressive vocals, skillful guitar playing, and powerful percussion are all things that make a good band. But imagine musicians as young as 10 showing off their skills, all to raise money for a good cause. Kids Rock for Kids is a charity that puts on concerts to raise money to help youth in New York City and across the world. It started off as small community shows showcasing bands made up of kids and teens.
4: Our kids' bands were drawing a crowd, and from the very beginning, we realized, you know, these kids could have a purpose with their musical talents and their performances. And so we've always had a charitable component to the shows from the very, very beginning. That was Lisa Shore. She's one of
3: the founders of Kids Rock for Kids. The organization was created in 2017 by Dave Miller. He and Shore realized that the concert's positive reception was an opportunity to do something to help people across the world.
4: What we call our tagline is helping the next generation help the world. So it's not just the raising money, but helping kids who are going to be, some of them are going to be future superstars kind of have it ingrained in them that they can make a difference.
3: Kids Rock for Kids teamed up with local and global charities. Coalition for the Homeless is a local organization that gives inner-city kids a chance to attend a sleepaway camp. Kids Save Ukraine works to help children and families who have been affected by the war. Shore says all the proceeds they make from their events are donated to these charities.
4: We really want to encourage the kids to think of themselves as global citizens and they can make a difference and also right here in their backyards. Um, you know, kids need our help.
3: Sisa Moreira is a 16-year-old artist from Brazil. She's a solo artist who mainly sings in Portuguese. Moreira joined the Six Continents Band for Kids Rock for Kids, and she performs songs in English with artists across six different places around the globe. Oh, While she's been a part of other concerts and television shows, she says she never had the opportunity to raise money for a great cause. She says being a performer and helping people go hand in hand.
1: Nowadays, if you have any way of helping other people, I think it's really something uh, necessary. You can't only...
3: Be a great musician if you don't have a good soul. She was a part of the Global Come Together Festival in June. Last year's showcase was the first in-person performance
4: since the pandemic. We had musicians from all over join us with the New York City bands, and we rocked out for three days in Brooklyn. It was incredible, it was a magical event. Incredible performances, the friendships that were forged, the connection made through music.
3: Both international and local musicians took part in this event. It was a way for all artists to come together, especially since prior performances were done through live streams.
1: Music is, is my life.
3: That was Milo Miller. He's a 14-year-old teenager from New York City who plays the drums in a punk rock band called Trial by Fire. He's been a part of many different bands for Kids Rock for Kids. This past June, he performed in the band called North South East West. For the, the festival, I got to play with some of most skilled musicians I have ever played with in my entire life. And so that and the incredible charities that these are things are going to. I'm being able to use my talents for like real good. Milo will also be opening for the Battle of the Bands competition. Kids Rock for Kids' newest event. Feel free to stop by on February 4th if you're in the East Village. I'm Christina Lulich, WFUV News. That was WFUV's Christina
0: Lulich reporting on the charity Kids Rock for Kids. In honor of Black History Month, we'll
1: be featuring a series highlighting Black representation in music around New York City.
0: To kick off the series, WFUV's Maya Sargent, Talk to the Harlem Chamber Players about their 15th annual Black History Month concert at the Schomburg Centre for Research in Black Culture.
5: The Harlem Chamber Players was founded in 2008. Every year, the group hosts an annual concert in celebration of Black History Month. This year, to honour their 15th anniversary, they will host this concert at the Schomburg Centre for Research in Black Culture in Harlem. Founder of the Harlem Chamber Players, Liz Player, describes the organisation as a multi-ethnic collective with a clear mission.
4: We're a collective of uh, professional musicians dedicated to bringing affordable and accessible classical music uptown to Harlem.
5: Liz says a key part of this mission is diversifying the classical music genre.
4: We're used to seeing the older silver-haired white crowd.
5: The Harlem Chamber Players wants to change this. The concert will showcase black performers and composers, confronting the classical music landscape that often fails to represent black and brown artists.
4: We're trying to create the type of ensemble we want to see reflected across the entire classical music world.
5: Liz wants to ensure there are no barriers for people who want to hear live classical music.
4: This music is for everyone, and it's just really important that everyone gets to be exposed to this music. This year's concert has been created by
5: artistic director Terence McKnight. He is also a host at WQXR, New York's classical music radio station. Terence chose to centre this year's Black History Month concert around the worldliness of black culture.
6: So when we celebrate Black History Month, it's not about celebrating Black History Month in America. Black history is world history. Black history is human history, as well as American history.
5: Terence talks about this year's concert with passion and vigor. The event will be a packed schedule lasting nearly two hours and featuring compositions by Duke Ellington, Don Byron, Valerie Coleman and Samuel Coleridge-Taylor. One of the performances he is most excited about is the world premiere of Arwan Ortiz's piece commissioned by the Harlem Chamber players.
6: That piece is called Episodes in an Unforeseen Departure where he's really looking at leaving home, leaving Cuba and coming to the States. And he's looking at other folks who've migrated. He's looking at the sound of that.
5: When Terence describes the concert, two moods become clear. It will be an event of comfort and familiarity.
6: It's gonna be inviting. If you've ever seen pictures of me at the Schomburg, I probably look like I'm sitting in my living room.
5: The assistant director of public programs and exhibitions at the Schomburg Center, Novella Ford, says the Black History Month concert is just one opportunity to highlight Black
0: culture. Expanding what we know about Black culture, what we know about Black history, and putting our geography all across the globe, and not into these singular places where we might think we should exist.
5: Novella says that to facilitate accessibility, tickets to the Harlem Chamber Players concert are free. That
3: is already an invitation to anyone to come through and learn about history or just to have a good evening and experience, right? Sometimes you don't have to beat people
0: over the head with history. Sometimes you just invite them to hear and listen
1: and you don't know what they will take away from that.
5: Tarrant says he hopes the concert will be visited by audience members of all ages. He wants to inspire the next generation of black and brown composers and musicians.
6: And so we stand for our community, for those young people to have access to all sorts of opportunities. You know, we never know where gifts and talent comes from, but we want to be there to show them that you can grow up to do this if this is what you choose to do.
5: The Harlem Chamber Players' 15th annual Black History Month Celebration Concert will be held at the Schomburg Centre in Harlem on Thursday, February 16th. The concert runs from 6.30 to 8.15 p.m. For
1: WFUV News, I'm Maya Sargent. That was WFUV's Maya Sargent talking about the Harlem Chamber Players' 15th annual Black History Month concert in Harlem on February 16th. And that's it from us. But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap-up every Friday for more features exclusively from the FUV Newsroom.
0: And make sure you check out WFUV's What's What daily podcast. It explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in the surrounding New York metropolitan area.
1: And that includes features and interviews just like the ones you heard exclusively
0: from FUV. You can catch new episodes every weekday at 3, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or find out more at wfuvnews.org. I'm Shana Walsh. And I'm Isabel Danzis.